Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carey, and today I'm joined by Ashley. What up? How you doing? Hello, I'm good. It's not my normal morning, so I've switched to alcohol instead of coffee. Recording so, at night. Oh, very nice, very nice. Uh, I'm I'm teetotaling for a minute, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's caught up with me. The it's caught up with me. Gotta gotta lose them cows. Um, and Richard, Richard, you're here as well, buddy. Welcome. What up? What do you got? Uh, water. Uh, oh, yeah. I was gonna pretend it was gin, but or or some I, other. I, I also brought a delicious water. A delicious yeah. water, made to taste like grapefruits. Well, I'm I just fine. I'm recovering from my uh, post second shot uh, thing, so I've I've, I've I'm over the oh, hump, buddy. But yeah. I'm gonna keep it keep it on the level for just a little bit longer to make sure that I didn't uh, you know. Didn't feed those flu-like symptoms I had for 24 hours, and it was—it didn't knock me on my ass, but I wasn't feeling the best, you know. But I hey, slept for two, like a whole day after my second one. Two weeks till axe throwing, everybody. Two weeks. We're doing oh, axe throwing yeah. in two weeks. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Full Metal RPG axe throwing in two weeks. Yes. Uh, I think everybody at Full Metal RPG is feeling a little bit like a need for recovery. I mean, I, is it just me or are we up to our gills and projects? Is it just oh, me yeah. or are we all? So many projects. I, feel, <laughs> I feel like the whole Full Metal RPG team is just firing on all cylinders, doing so much stuff. We've got Rot Marches. We got Star Breach Challenge. We've got our other podcasts that we do. We have no time to sleep. I uh, we had Mother's Day yesterday, which is why we're here on on a Monday evening and not a Sunday morning. And I don't know. I'm dog tired. I feel like uh, maybe there's uh, tired energy just in the air. But we're gonna fucking do a show. We're gonna do a show. Episode one fifteen yeah. of Full Metal RPG. Mm. Now. Uh, this is a part of the show where we usually do some Patreon shout-outs, and uh, today we're going to do a really special one, because I was actually put on blast by my my, my friend, my player, uh, Brinton. Oh. He said, you didn't shout me out. And I said, I did. You're just behind on your episodes. <laughs> and he says, well, when I get to it, I'll know that you did, but I didn't hear it. And I say, well, so now I'm just going to go, Brinton, Brinton. Thank you so much for your Patreon. Please. Yes. I love you. You're a wonderful person. Brenton Williams is a great person. He's a great game designer, and he's a wonderful player in my Esoteric Enterprises game. Brenton, this episode goes out to you. The entire episode. <laughs> Executive produced by Brenton. Executive yes. produced. It's for you. It's for you, my friend. Never let it be said. Never let it be said that I forgot about you, Brenton. Never let it be said. All right, so uh, it's been a fucking hot minute since I've been on the show. Uh, I'm stoked as fuck to get into it with you guys. Let's uh, let's do some fucking black hole. What do you think? Yes. Black hole. All right. Well, the black hole is the ever-sucking void that takes up all of our time, energy, and attention. It is role-playing, the greatest of hobbies. Richard, what's going on with you, man? What have you been up to? Anything good? Um... I've been, uh, it's been kind of a steady state what with all the new projects going on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did run a Rot Marches game, which was rad. Yeah. You played yeah, in fun. it. You played yeah. it. I think that, no, that wasn't the first time you, you played under my, uh, my game mastership, but, uh, that's true. I played Apocalypse World with you once. Apocalypse World and, uh, the superhero game, uh, Defend <laughs> the Block, uh, not Defend uh, the Block, but yeah. Defend the Street. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, that was uh, that was that was a lot of fun. I really had to. I was I, I it was a li- I'm a little rusty from not running con games or at least even being in that con mode where I had to kind of like bring myself like I had a plan like I, I we talked about a little bit in the uh, in the last episode about story structure and I had to kind of reel myself back in that game. So that was uh, um, to try and fit things in. And it was a lot of fun to be thinking on my feet and trying to like fit everything in and do the little dance. And uh, we had a little travel sequence in there. So it'll, it'll come in uh, to our topic a little bit later in the show. Uh, But other than that, it's like, I, you know, I'm still playing my uh, game with my college buddies uh, for Eberron. Uh, ah, yeah, the Eberron game. I thought you were going to go right to 13th Age, but this is Eberron. So yeah. tell me what's going on in Eberron, dude. Um, well, we found one of the weird things and I actually really like about Eberron is apparently the goblinoids were kind of like, are kind of the precursor race. And like, normally it's like elves. Elves were the precursor race before man. The, the goblins and hobgoblins, all that, were kind of a cultural uh, thing. They actually built things and uh, we're uh, we're on this path to do, try to deliver a letter to a dragon, to but from a wizard who wants the dragon to move so it quits screwing with our his observatory, his magical observatory. He wants this dragon to get out of his mountain so he can like. I'm assuming we're all dead, one way or another. I mean, there'll probably be a twist in some way, but. Like the dragon be like, no, you go back there and kill him. Like, <laughs> we're not going to kill him, like kill the dragon. It wouldn't be much him. of a story if the dragon just said, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that seems eminently reasonable. I'm getting the fuck out. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what? He makes some strong points. Strong points. <laughs> and uh, we uh, we stumbled across a kind of shortcut up the mountain that is actually a goblin uh, kind of underhive that's abandoned. And we found like a sealed ancient one that was like leaking moss all through the place. And then we kind of got attacked by pygmy moss people. So that was, uh, they were vicious little buggers. Uh, <laughs> and sounds know. like you guys are having a good time with it. Sounds really Eberani. I dig it. Yeah. I ha- dig the fuck out. Having a lot of fun. And we're still playing, uh, we're still playing 13th Age. That's with my high school buddies. So I, I'm, oh. uh, so like I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, reconnecting with everybody but online still so uh without doing 13th age i think we're like two or three sessions from being finished uh i think we're finally we're clicking in with the system it's combat is not taking as long as it was because we're not really you know used to those f f20 style combats anymore and we we finally got those uh, nailed down in my my barbarian isn't hitting the floor every combat, maybe every other combat. So, uh, but he had a rage off against a demon who was a friend, a frenzy demon who was frenzying and he was raging at the same time. So we were having a frenzy off. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that's pretty much about it. Like, you know, I, I, I haven't done a Buzzkill's bookshelf in a couple in a week or so, and I need I'm I'm feeling the itch to go back to that, so I need to I need to read some books and get up there and get up on Playing the YouTube again. Yeah, that's that's good. You yeah. know, that's 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 the life, right? Playing yeah. playing the RPG games. Can't talk about RPGs if you don't play RPGs, right? That's right. 
It's good on you, man. Good on you. Staying busy. I dig it. Ashley, what you got? What's the hotness? Mm. Well, first of all, I was doing the I'm doing the Starbreeze Challenge, and it's my first anything with miniature war games. So this is my oh. my dwarf army. They're primed and ready And I'm very excited about that. Um, my space dwarf Jedi army. Uh, <laughs> so that was that's that's been part of it is just reading through the book for that and getting my miniatures built because these are like ikea you have to build your own minis apparently i'm used to like the <laughs> ones where they come pre-done and it's like oh i have to paint all these no these ones you have to build them and then paint them so yeah, yeah. isn't it fun though isn't it an it enjoyable fun. pastime going on the little arms yes and this... like picking out what goes with what and then kind of modding like the weapons to be you know well this is an axe but he needs a training rod so if i cut this off it's now a training rod instead of an axe so that's been a lot of fun to do um so there's that. Uh, Yukon Dark, We the tiny Cthulhu game I'm playing with Alan and some other folks. Uh, that, we just finished episode six last week, which we're halfway through our 12-week thing we're planning on doing. Uh, it's getting really fucking creepy. <laughs> like, right. Maddie's just, she's an amazing GM. So it's it's getting creepy. I'm excited about that. This week is going to be a Q&A session with the, the cast. So we're just going to get on and do a mid-season break, I guess, then do a Q&A session. Um, Pathfinder 1 and 2, I damn near died in both of those campaigns this week. Oh. I don't, and, yeah, and it's the same GM, so I'm like, did I piss you off? Like, it's my roommate. I'm like, did I eat the last cookie and not tell you? Or, like, what's going on? If you don't want me in your campaign, just tell me. So, yeah, and I really thought that if I was going to die in one of the campaigns, it would be Pathfinder 2, since the difficulty is so much higher on that. But, um, yeah, no, I, I almost died in both of those campaigns this week. So it's been quite, quite the exciting week for gaming for me. Yeah, no kidding. Sounds like you're getting in a lot of games, a lot, a lot of hours at the game table, not games yeah. at the hour table. <laughs> <laughs> different uh, different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it sounds like you're getting some, uh, getting some reps. Good, good. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about a game that's been kind of tantalizing me. Unfortunately, I don't know when I'm going to get to play it, but I definitely feel like pretty hot and bothered by this game. It's called Jackals. Have you guys heard of Jackals? No, no. Tell us more. It's really interesting. Uh, I kind of became aware of this game uh, from the homie uh, Jamie at Coliseum Rex via his uh, RPG podcast that he does with our friend Henry. Um, it's called uh, Human Energy Field. And you can okay. find that very easily. Uh, just type in Human Energy Field into uh, iTunes. They have a lot of hot takes over there, and they're very they're very spicy. They're they very do spicy indeed. takes. They do indeed. I'm yeah. not quite caught up yet, but... Uh. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. There are some doozies. I feel like uh, we should... I'd like to have them on so Absolutely. we can do a little bit of the old back and forth because, I mean, they're very smart guys. Jamie and Henry are super smart dudes. Very articulate and uh, uh, well-read, and they know their games. I don't agree with everything they say, but oh, that yeah. is the uh, essence of savory discussion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's like that's what makes it all worthwhile. Because everybody's just like, oh, yeah, I agree, I agree. That's not very interesting. Um, so I love, I love listening to that podcast. And Jamie put me onto this game. Apparently Osprey, who... Uh, has done, they've been kind of changing their model over the last 10 years, right? Like, everybody who's spent any time in, like, a kind of crusty RPG store knows 
that Osprey sells these um like these little army books that tell you about like uniforms oh, from yeah. like every war in every era in every part of the world. Well, they've got right? like oh, more than that. They've got like vehicle guides. They've got like all this yeah. like real world history in little booklets that you can buy. Yeah. I have two SR seventy one books on my shelf because that's my oh favorite. SR seventy one Blackbird. Yeah, those Neat. are my favorite. That's my favorite plane. So like yeah, I have two. Hey. <laughs> no, that's great. That's my favorite plane too. Um. But Osprey's good for that kind of shit, like war nerd type shit, right? And then they decide they want to start moving into uh, miniatures games, and they started putting using that kind of perfect bound, about 64-page uh, format to put out miniatures war games, like one-shots that didn't have expansions or anything, just completely self-contained games. And they did okay with some that they released. Uh, uh, Ash Barker's uh, Last Days is on there. I think Frostgrave is one of them. Gaslands, these are all Austrian games. Gaslands is fucking badass. <laughs> so, so they kind of blew up doing that. And then very recently, they started moving into RPGs. And this is very interesting, right? It's, it's because their sort of design aesthetic, like what they value from an RPG is very different than a lot of the other game companies that are out there. And, and so Jackals is from Osprey. Cut, cut into the chase. Jackals is from Osprey. And it is such a dope-ass little game. It is so fucking cool. Uh, the conceit of it is, is it's like D&D, only instead of being part of some kind of mythological like Western Europe in the Middle Ages, you are a mythological Grecian-era antiquity. And so there's like fantasy Trojan dudes walking around and fantasy Israelites walking around and fantasy uh, Egyptians walking around and uh, fantasy, fantasy kind of like uh, Bedouin tribes wandering around. And then you have adventures and there's like demons and undead and gnolls and shit. And it's fucking so cool. It's just a really cool little game. And it's got like a percentile system by uh the, the the they're selling you a setting so there is like a there's like a setting that has a meta plot and then there's gonna be a series of campaign books that are coming out for it and uh there's like a map and like what's going on over here and what's going on over there and it's just really cool and immersive and i personally you know i think a lot of history nerds that role play we like get caught up in like uh you know you get caught up in the middle ages but then like antiquity like doesn't seem to have the same kind of like draw in terms of like rpg creators you know you'll see like cthulhu rome or or they'll do like a vampire the masquerade book about rome but there'll only be one and it's just really cool to find a game that has such a like robust interaction with this idea on kind of like a mythological level so you can really just play this kind of fantastical stuff with the same sort of disconnection from the actual history of the era, you know what I'm saying? But you get you get these kind of like tropey kind of like uh, you know the kind of like eyeliner eyeliner dudes from e- from not Egypt, you know, and and they've got the the Trojan hats from not not Troy, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, this is cool <laughs> yeah. as fuck. And then and then you go fight fight a skeleton and a knoll, and you're like neat. It's neat. I don't know. I'm tickled. Well, I'm no, tickled that, by that the whole sounds thing. awesome. Like uh, yeah. you know. All, all that stuff, all the stuff that 
you know, Gygax didn't steal from like all the novels he was reading. He was stealing from all the ancient myths he he knew about. So like, yeah. it, it all comes from somewhere, and just playing in the historical setting, I find I find that fascinating, especially if like everything kind of stays on a level in the city, or like you have to go someplace like it's a normal world and then there's fantastic out there somewhere mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a very humanocentric world it doesn't seem like there's a lot of elves and stuff it's mostly about kind of like well there were gnolls and then what is essentially kind of almost like chaos demons or something we're kind of, it, it, it seems kind of a little bit warhammer winking where there's mm. like this idea of these ruinous powers that were kind of running everything but instead of having beastmen that were like goat-headed dudes as their minions, it was gnolls. And mm. then just very recently, the humans have kind of banded together and kicked out the gnolls. But now the humans are having like trouble kind of like dealing with each other, you know. Mm. But it ain't like the gnolls are gone. They're just kind of like over there a little bit. So um, you're, you, you play jackals, which is their word for adventurers, which oh, is... Okay. You go to a town and there's maybe some like caves or some like temples or something that might have some like residual fuckery going on in it and you go help them sort that out. But then they kind of don't like you anymore once you're done sorting it out. They're kind of like, oh, these are people who we need around for a minute, but we don't around, want around for a long time. And so you got to keep moving. So it's a, it's a sick little game. And I'm kind of actually stoked as fuck to uh, look at these other games that Osprey's putting out because... Um, I think that there might be like a really high quality there. So thank you to Jamie for putting me onto that. Uh, check out Jackals. Check nice. out Jackals. Sweet. Um, yeah, great. So uh, now we got a show. We're going to do a show today. And uh, who who wants to introduce this topic? I, I, is, I, is it my understanding that this is Ashley's topic? That this is your you. This, this wasn't my topic. I went through the spreadsheet when we were like, oh. "What are we going to do?" I went <laughs> through the spreadsheet. Yield spreadsheet. All right, Yield. great. Yes, I Yield scrolled it up. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, I can do it if you want, but it yeah, wasn't. why? I why don't you lay it on me, stream? Be what you got. Cool. All right. So basically, what we're going to be talking about is you know when you're playing a game and you have to go from one town to the next town. So there's going to be travel involved, and how do you handle that to make it still fun? How do you handle in-game travel sequences? So, Richard, I know you talked about in your rot marches you said that there was a travel montage that well it wasn't a montage it was we uh, so you can deal with travel many ways and especially in fantasy where you're you know in this particular instance i had um rolled up a specific and it it had an encounter table and i rolled up an encounter along the Mm -hmm. way and that encounter happened to be a couple of corpses. It wasn't dangerous. It was just interesting. It was just world building. Mm-hmm. So, and then I rolled up what was on those corpses to kind of build more world. So I used it as an opportunity to build a world. And I think that's one of the best ways you can use a, a, a travel sequence. I have, mm-hmm. I, have, I have many, I'm often torn on the idea of travel sequences because I tend to like to run a more modern game or more sci-fi game and travel a lot of times isn't interesting in those unless you're, unless that's the thing. It, it, it's mm-hmm. like the road trip movie is a thing, you know, <laughs> that the, but like oftentimes you'll just see, the investigators go from the crime scene to their lab, just a split, like, so yeah. it, but 
travel gets kind of hand wavy the more modern the game becomes. Right. You know, you, you can hand wave it in fantasy too, but then there's a there are usually much more robust mechanics. Mm-hmm. If somebody wishes to delve into that, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ashley. You were saying. Oh no worries. That's fine. Um, I think one of the ways that in the people that I play with, because we're all theater nerds, we like to use travel sequences for RPing. So we'll role play like interactions with the characters. So you were talking about if you roll up random encounters that builds the world, which I think is fantastic because the more robust you can make the world and the more things that are going on in the world, the better it ends up being, in my opinion. But um, if you can kind of role play and form those connections, that's another form of world building that's just tightening the bonds between the the, the party members. Um so, and I think you can do that no matter what the setting is. If it's fantasy, if it's, you know, cyberpunk, anything like that, well, the characters are still going to have backstories and they're still going to have ties to each other. Well, absolutely. And uh, one of the things I really like that's in uh, Savage Worlds, I think it's been in since the very beginning, it's an optional rule called interludes, where mm-hmm. um, those that want to participate, uh, you draw a card off the deck because that's one of those things about Savage Worlds is you have the the initiative deck, the action deck at the table, you draw a card and it kind of tells you, hey, tell a, you know, the suit will tell you, hey, uh, tell me about an obstacle you overcome came during the travels or tell me a part of your backstory that was a happy part of your deck backstory or sad part of your backstory or whatever. Or, um, you know, it, it's got like three different things downtime. Like, tell me about like what your downtime looked like between these two things between sessions or you could use an interlude between sessions or between adventures as kind of like how you got some place it's one of the things i like about the savage worlds thing and then you get a benefit a benny if you do the thing right it's it's that's one of the things about savage worlds is all about like all about them bennies right all about the those treats and i i know that's not everybody's thing but like i really like the idea of like incentivizing characters with in-game currency to do to to play their character, <laughs> yeah. it was just a little carrot for the stick of my combat encounter that's coming your way. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that uh, I lost my thought. Mm. Yeah, the role playing. Yeah. I think it depends on who's at your table. That's what I was going to say. Right. Yeah. Much like anything, and I've said this, I mean, if you tally up all of the phrases I've used over all of the episodes I've been on, it depends on who is at your table is probably like my most used phrase because uh, it, it does. I mean, there are some people who don't want to do the role playing. They don't want to do the, you know, bullshit side stuff. They want to get to where they're going and either get into combat or whatever it is that they're getting to. And that's when it gets kind of hand wavy. So there's so- that option. So kind of tell me for a second, if, if you will, Ashley, what's it look like one of these um, like travel RP like encounters? Like, what is it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Like, how many people are involved? Like, what kind of gets done? Because we, we used to do we used to do stuff kind of like this in Vampire, right? Because mm-hmm. Vampire, if you start off playing in the Middle Ages and stuff, becomes very travel oriented because but then the more you get into the into the contemporary times it's like ah, i'm on an airplane or whatever right but if you you'll have these whole sessions that'll be like okay well you're on a ship for three months or something what do you do while you're on the ship and nobody wants to fucking role play being on a ship for three months that sounds fucking heinous i don't know what anybody did before when they had to do that 
Right. So uh, as a storyteller, I would sometimes be like, well, is there anything you want to get done? And then I would yeah. maybe have a couple of things that I had like preceded, like so-and-so comes up to you and tries to have this conversation. And at that point, it's like bait that they maybe mm-hmm. take, maybe they don't. So uh, what does it look like when you do it? With role-playing amongst the, the players, um, it, are there any connections that you formed? Because this is kind of like um, PBTA, when you look at the threads on how you know the different people. Kind of expand upon that. I have a friend that I've been in a couple campaigns with, and we always know each other from the before times, like some way, whether it's she was a barbarian and I was a healer, and so she would always come to me when she needed healing or whatever. So that type of stuff is fun because as we play it out, the other players can kind of see the bond that we've formed. Or if there's someone that you know you're from the same town, but you don't know each other, it's just you get into conversations about what it was like from back home and things like that. So it's literally just acting out your your backstory a little bit. What would it be like if you were really in a carriage with these people for a day? Don't make it last a day, but just little kind of snapshots <laughs> of conversations and things like that that you have while you're on the road. Okay, so it's kind of uh, picaresque, kind of uh, uh, like almost. I, I, I'm imagining kind of like a little bit of a kind of a provincial sort of vibe to it, mm-hmm. like in terms of its feel. Yeah, like slice of lifey type. Sure. Like, um, yeah, and again, theater nerds. I play with theater nerds almost exclusively. There's one campaign I'm in where not everyone is into that, so that one gets very roll up random encounters and see what we can find that'll help us out later but there's one in particular that everyone has a background in theater so that campaign we really like the opportunities to role play so travel sequences are a good way to do that i've noticed that like in those vampire games i was talking about like in the early stuff when everybody is still playing a bunch of like hardened orphans that don't like i don't i don't talk to anybody and there's like a bunch of that shit and then the more that the campaign goes on and the longer the characters have to kind mm-hmm. of know each other and the more kind of shared experiences they have, the more open people become to having those type of role-playing encounters. Um, but I, I do think that the thing that you're describing is almost like, it's almost an element of like new style role-playing. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like, I, I really feel like if in like 1995, somebody had been like, we'd been playing vampire, the masquerade. And we were like, let's just do a scene. Where everybody's like sitting around a table talking about our, our pasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have been like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I, like I'm yeah. going to go, I'm going to go attack a werewolf. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was also a child, so I don't know. I mean, right. you know, there's, there's a lot of different, there's lots of different ways to cut that. What do you it think? It depends Richard? on who you're playing with. Also, like I said, there are some yeah. tables that you do not want that. Shit, so, there is yeah. that. There is yeah. that. There's a certain kind of emotional vulnerability that comes from playing that way. Yeah. You know, from inhabiting your character mm-hmm. in that way. And not everybody is necessarily like right. savers that experience or is particularly ready for it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's not, a, that's not a pejorative thing. That's not being like, yeah. why aren't you ready for it? It's just like, you know, Maybe you don't want to dig deep while you're role-playing. Maybe you want to fucking kill a warg, you know? I just want to escape and just go and, like, hit this with my short sword enough times until it explodes. Like, that's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's absolutely valid and fine, too, for sure. 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 It's all good. I mean, the Game Master has to kind of give space for that. They have to be into it, too. It's one of those things where, like, the Game Master has to, like, somewhat set some of this stuff up on how they want to deal with it. And if they have a table of theater nerds, like they're good they're they know after a while, it's like, well, we're just, 
I don't even have to do anything this session. I just, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to work on the notes for the next session while so, you guys talk about session where you like bust out your phone and you're like, I wonder what's on eBay. Let <laughs> like, these guys do whatever they're doing. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, um, I, I really like using, uh, using it to build the world, you know, it, showing things in the distance, talking about the terrain or it, giving you a, a sense that you're in a place and then allowing space. And if nobody takes up that space to role play, then, then the crickets go on or whatever the sound of the, the ocean or whatever it is. And then we just keep moving and, and you, you got to keep these things moving. You can't just like, <laughs> try. Right, you can't dwell on them. You can't suddenly just be like, like have it descend into a series of postcards. Right. Um, I mean, like all of these games descend from Tolkien and to- you know, The Hobbit in particular, and perhaps to a greater extent, The Lord of the Rings. I don't really remember quite as well. Uh, there's an element of travel log to those books, and even if you are getting into like classic horror fiction, Dracula is in and of itself a travel oh, log. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's just pages and pages of oh, I'm sitting on the train and I'm looking at the trees, and and this is kind of nice. I find it to be immersive. I indulge in some of that when I am doing a uh, vampire in particular. I'd say Richard, your uh, travel sequence was very immersive. In fact, of that game, I would say it was the highlight of my personal experience. Because it did seem very vivid. It was just, it was, and it was very interesting to me because, because since we're all building this shared sandbox world, we sort of like hand off to each other, you know, when it's time to run. Um, being like, oh shit, look at all this shit that's here that I didn't have any idea was here, but now it is, and it's pretty cool, you know? And uh, immediately that gets my head kind of thinking, well, what can I do with this later, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it, it's neat, it's neat stuff. Yeah, and, and that was kind of like, because um, I, 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 I was sort of feeding off you know, when you run, you're very descriptive about the environment. And I, I have been in the past accused of, of kind of being very minimalist until people ask me <laughs> of things. So I was like, I, I just, I was just feeding off that idea. And I had this uh, image in my head um, that I really wanted to show everybody. Cause it's one of these fascinating things that in our real world, there are ship graveyards that people like literally cut ships apart to recycle them, but they're in like Pakistan and there's these big flat beaches where all these ships are being cut apart and, and like recycled. And I was just like, well, clearly if you had a big war and the invaders like won and stayed, you would have all these ships you would want to recycle. So like, I, I love the idea of all these prison the prisoners were were recycling they were taking apart these big logs for the ship from the ship to build other things with and uh yeah, or whatever that's fucking awesome um and then there was a monster in the distance when we yeah. were kind of doing setting our watches there was a monster in the di- distance and that was you know i mean i think that that's an old saw i've used it um but the experience of it as a player was much was much more different and i was like i was like Ugh. you know what i'm saying it was very intriguing it was i still am intrigued by that fucking monster in the distance well, thing honestly and 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 i was i was that was inspired by looking at the 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 uh, bestiary in the back of morkborg and seeing that there are giant beasts in there already and i was like well, clearly there's some big things on this on this in this place we just haven't yeah. talked about it yet and and as things escalate 
as showing the you know showing badness going back to the pbca moves like showing future badness like i don't necessarily have to bring that to the fore anytime soon or ever again just right. showing that there's something bigger in this world was really quite enjoyable because i i could tell that everybody's like oh shit is it coming our way yeah, yeah. It, yeah you're it, always gonna have that right in the back <laughs> of your head just like where where is it what is it doing right now when you've got that kind of doomsday counter going yeah. like potentially right yeah, yeah. so so uh, go ahead i Oh, I was, I was going to say, uh, to kind of change direction just a little bit, because I think that we all, as a group, we kind of have, like, we all have some different takes where we've approached the same thing, but I think it sounds like, you know, we're all birds of a feather here. We all kind of like similar things. But let me ask you this. Have you ever played in a game that was very oriented on the mechanics of travel and the process of resource management. Because that's a that's a completely different GM take. I, we were talking earlier about how a lot of this comes down to GM preference. And mm. uh, so have you ever role-played with a GM who was like, how much can you carry? How much water do you have? How many days of hardtack do you have? What's your pace on the road? Do you stop to find a stream? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever done this? Not to that extent. Uh, my GM will uh, make us track rations. And it's like, okay, if you're traveling for four days, mark off four rations unless you go out and you try and find something. And that brings it into world building and what you're doing during travel. Do you go out to try and find food so you don't have to use your rations? Stuff like that. But if we don't do that, then we have to mark off our rations. As far as um, whatever it's oh, not overbearing is not the word i want but the <laughs> where if you are like burdened like overburdened oh, encumbrance like encumbrance yes that if you uh if you are a gnome you are not going to be able to carry like seven broad great swords or whatever like there are certain things that you if it's ridiculous he doesn't allow it but it's not one of those where you can specifically carry 100 pounds and you have to mark off what it is you have so he doesn't do yeah. that but yeah yeah which that would be a pain in the ass. I mean, well, I think this kind of gets this gets into one of our other questions, which is like, um, it sounds fun until you do it, and then right. maybe it's fun for like the first couple sessions, and then it just becomes this huge pain in the ass that sort of interposes itself between you and the story. Like this, like somebody, I think I can't remember who brought it up. I think it was uh, Paul, and he was like, he was like having different languages in your game. And making it possible in character creation for there not for there to be a non-shared language, right? Like, no, no yeah. one in the group, all all 100 percent of the group does not spend does not does not share a language. Right. And then you're like, oh, cool. There's to be all these barriers between like communication. And then like three sessions in, you're like, okay, fuck it. Everybody knows common. Let's just right. let's just get through this <laughs> shit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, for four or five minutes for fun, like that's <laughs> kind of that, that's kind of I think been the uh, real. Uh, my real experience it has been like none of the game masters took that the 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 resource management thing seriously for long enough. Like there's always like the one session, or like they're mm -hmm. they're really interested for one session or whatever. Or um, it, it it like it was really cool when we were playing because um, that when we were playing the the AP for rot marches like because we were you know such a low level like f 
high fantasy but high grit game that having to keep track of that stuff was actually you know like it added to the tension of the idea like but most D is not is played mm-hmm. at this like high fantasy level where it it's often kind of like is it really fun and then you get to like level three and you can make food or what create food and the, the rogue <laughs> is all the ranger is always out like uh you know hunting animals and they can just get whatever they want and it just becomes like why bother because the characters are so powerful they are superheroes they can just bring things into existence and that's it like <laughs> yeah and and kind of like what element of role playing i mean this is again this is, i mean this is the question like what el- what the percentage of your role playing experience do you want to be essentially almost like farmville you know what i'm saying like resource management the game like y- y- you know um mm-hmm. if you if you like read the hobbit right there's like a whole bunch of shit in there about resource management. There's all there. It's not specific, uh, but it talks about ah, uh, fucking Bilbo was so fucking hungry because he didn't have any food left. He he was just rubbing his pockets for crumbs and this kind of shit, you know. But um, then in D and D, you're kind of like, it's almost like who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, are you gonna have us die of, of exposure out here, GM? Because if you are, just say so, and then we can just make new characters. Yeah, it's almost like, did you fuck up so badly that the game master is not forgiving you and you're just going to die or or from it, right? Mm -hmm. But I think in single sessions management, I think like what we're doing in Rot Marches where like we are kind of giving the characters food, but if they fuck up, they're going to have to deal with it. But there's also a mechanic about hunger and in there right it, it but there's you know there is a uh, levels of exhaustion in D&D like actually we in the the uh the Eberron <laughs> the Eberron game we were playing yeah. we pushed ourselves so much we were climbing these stairs inside this goblin place so much that we by the time we got back down the stairs the game master's like oh you have a level of exhaustion and then, because we hadn't really stopped and ate, and then, like, then we got attacked. It didn't really mean anything at level one exhaustion, which is, that's why I would I would have been like, no, fuck it. But, because, like, level two is when you start taking minuses to your attack rolls, and then I was like, well, that's when it would have mattered. It would have mattered if you're, like, yeah. so tired that it's hard to swing your sword or whatever. So what, so what happens at level one exhaustion? You get minuses on just, like, skill rolls. So, like, you can't think as well, basically. You can't, right. you know. But, like, if we were in a skill challenge, that would have been, that would have made a lot of sense. It would have made a lot of sense to be at that, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see it. I can see it. I mean, overall, I feel like almost kind of like our take on this is um, that the process itself, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's almost a undercurrent of the process itself has the potential to be intensely tedious, right? Like, and the more you focus on it, the more tedious it's going to be. And nobody wants to do And Look, look, the reason I brought it up about the have you ever played in one of these games where they were like, where the GM was seriously like, count out your pennies. You know what I'm saying? As I played in a game like that, I played in a game like that for quite a while, honestly. And it was, uh, dude, it was grueling. It was like, it was, it was, 
I mean, not only was the um, experience of my character grueling because I had to be like like foraging for survival in a state of na- nature pretty much constantly, but the actual process of playing the game was grueling. It was like late night sessions that would go on for six plus hours, Oof. and this was when people were still smoking indoors and. My my chest would feel horrible the next day from secondhand smoke and Ugh. like uh uh like I, there would there would be like uh, navigation checks. There was one time that we were like in these mist and shrouded mountains and we couldn't see anything for like to, to, as as like a frame of reference, and so we had to make um like uh, intuition based like g- navigation challenges. And the GM broke up how many feet, X number of feet, we had to make the challenge. This was using a D20 system. So if you failed a check, it influenced the next check. And it would allow you to get further and further and further off course because it was cascading, like, like uh, uh, or rather kind of like intertwined results. I mean, I remember seriously a guy... He came to a session and he was like, I used a TI-85 calculator. This is a a long time ago, guys. And I wrote a program so that we can just do all the rolls in one button. And the GM was like, no. (laughs) The GM was like, I I don't allow it because I did not write that program. I don't know what the fuck you wrote in there. And I want, uh, so start rolling those dice. And we were just like, we're like, the check is like every 50 feet, you know? Like every time we walk 50 feet and we're trying to march eight hours a day. Like, come on. You know, anyway. Yeah, Yeah. it was. uh, Sessions where all it was was just these checks. Then I'm guessing if it no, was literally there was there was two sessions where we would just nominate someone to roll the dice, and then we they would sit there rolling the dice, and then we'd just go off and do other stuff. And the and the person who was rolling the die would have <laughs> was having this ongoing conversation of like fifteen, three, ten, twelve. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just like <laughs> that could literally be like a. I mean, if you really wanted that, like, just the game master should have just rolled a a, a, a list of you know, like a, you know, like when you do uh, perception checks, the people mm-hmm. still do the perception checks in D anD. d They'll like roll up a whole sheet of perception checks, and then mm-hmm. just like, okay, that I use that perception check and slash and that you know, like, yeah, just well, no, why? no, I mean, why? Yeah, this this is this is one of the reasons. It's it's, it's experiences like this that gave birth. To mm-hmm. like PBTA, you know, yes. where it's like, oh, let's let's not spend six hours rolling dice. Let's uh, roll two d six, and then there's three options. Boom, boom, boom. You know, yeah. and then choose from a list. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and then let's move on to the thing that is what we want to do. Now that having been said, I like have vivid memories of this campaign. You know, vivid, but. Scarring, vivid scarring memories. <laughs> yeah, this hey, it's alive in my imagination <laughs> to um, this day. But like, it, there is a game that I've always been interested in called Torchbearer that has is kind right. of based on this idea. I've never got to play it, uh, but it's sort of legendary in the kind of like n- narrative game world. Is this kind of like way to do dungeon crawling and have all this resource management be interesting 
Right. But I've never played it, so I can't say too much. But I know that that's out there, and it sounds like the kind of game that that game master would love and then hate because apparently it was too narrative. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> Torchbearer is not just resource management, but also, I mean, it, it, one of the resources that you manage, I believe, is stress. Right. It's kind of mm. like it's kind of like Darkest Dungeon in that way, where it's like. The further this is my understanding. I've never played it either. There was a minute when it was like a really hot, like kind of oh, third yeah, rail yeah, game, yeah. and you could get it really easily. And as we've kind of seen with third rail games, they kind of have a life cycle where they're like hot for a minute and then they're kind of gone. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I you don't hear about Torchbearer that much anymore. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure it has a whole code of cult of devotees. I'm not talking shit on Torchbearer. I'm just saying I haven't heard about it as much recently as I did two years ago. Um, but it's my understanding there's also like a stress mechanic where it's like the more you run out of shit, the more your stress goes up, mm. which means that the less able to perform you are. So if you know you're on your last torch and you're in the lightless dungeon, then you're you're fucked. You know what I'm saying? Right, you're right, like yeah. mentally fucked as well as being resource fucked. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And when I play games, I play them to escape. And all of that sounds like way too real to me. Where I'm like, <laughs> I don't have resources, therefore I'm stressed. Therefore I'm fucked. I'm like, that's my life. So I don't want to have to do that when I'm <laughs> playing a game. That sounds awful. Well, I mean, I can see like how it's all about the experience right like riding on yeah. a roller coaster is like experiencing a bunch of like sudden falls and like weird velocity increases yeah. and decreases that you probably wouldn't want to subject yourself to if you were in a non-roller coaster situation <laughs> but um like i can see where somebody might be thinking to themselves i want to be immersed in how my character feels in their dungeon and i feel like i'm not actually immersed in that that my experience of that is as a person who has an idea of what a dungeon is like because I looked at like some Larry Elmore drawings when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And like, I understand the um, fucking, uh, I understand where they wrote, where they came from when they wrote this game. But like you, Ashley, I don't have any desire to play right. this whatsoever. <laughs> we, I did my first randomized dungeon crawl uh, in, mm. I can't remember in so long, uh, with the Esoteric Enterprises guys a couple days ago. And, um, Holy shit, what a completely different world that was. Get this. So I uh So as I've been probably, I've been playing Esoteric Enterprises wrong the entire time. I did an interview with Emmy Allen that I need to fucking cut and put up on the on the uh channel, but basically I've been running Esoteric Enterprises like it's kind of like gangsters who live in a occult world. But mm-hmm what you literally are supposed to be doing is be playing homeless people. You're homeless people who have no recourse to society. And so you interact with this horrifying underworld in order to get resources to continue your existence. Right. And, uh, so there's a lot of dungeon crawling in the way that the book is written. And, but I've just been running like this fucking world of darkness game where, you know, people just go to bars and talk and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So I finally fucking ran a dungeon for my, my party, right? But we had sat down to play the game, uh, and they had come to the mouth of the dungeon, and then, uh, then life happened, and we literally didn't play for two months. And so we sat down to play again, and I could find the map with the tunnels and the rooms, but I had lost the key. The key was <laughs> gone. <laughs> I was like going... <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going through all my notes, couldn't find anything. So I literally had to uh, tell them to talk amongst themselves and bust <laughs> out one of the dungeon rollers from the inside of the Esoteric Enterprises book and then just re-roll the dungeon really fast. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun, I gotta say. You know, usually dungeon crawls ain't my thing, but that was fun. That was a good time. Yeah, and that's when you, as the GM, get to be a player too, because you're like, I'm just as surprised as you guys is what you're gonna <laughs> run into. So this is gonna be yeah. new for all of us. Yeah, yeah it, it makes it harder. Go ahead, Richard. I'm sorry. Well, I was just gonna say, like that the the dungeon, the dungeon is a, a travel log would be really interesting. I think, like kind of like the Underdark or whatever. Like doing like either uh, like a road trip, in, you know, basically essentially a road trip inside the dungeon, right? So you're you're going somewhere under inside these caverns and caves and and catacombs and built up environments would be really I think a really interesting game, and I'm sure that like you could call like Temple of Elemental Evil that because you're essentially inside this dungeon the whole time, right? There's a city inside there and all that. But, you know, there's a whole, like, world of these, like, road trip movies that I think would also be a lot of fun to, like, do, like, traveling. And I think you were going to even have something like that in your uh, Ravenous game with the traveling between places kind of thing. That's true. There is a travel element in that. Because, to me, one of the fundamental aspects of the vampire, like, uh, drama that you don't actually see in vampire role-playing games is is that vampire movies are travel logs. Very often, like it's they all come from Dracula, but uh, very many of them have this in there. The notion of the vampire as like a solitary being that like kind of lurks in a city forever is actually kind of new. Even if you read like Interview with a Vampire, it's like every few pages, it's like, then we took a ship to France. You know what I'm saying? And (laughs) and that's just kind of the way that the game, the way that the 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 vampire narratives often kind of move. If I were a but, vampire and could live forever, I would be traveling constantly. Like I would not stay in the same place for long at all. So right. that makes sense. That's realistic to me. Yeah, yeah. And then a long time ago, it was much easier to do that. So well, I guess it's mm-hmm. pretty easy now. But um, yeah. man, I had some I had some fucking thought, and then I lost it. Eh. Oh well, I guess we're all I guess we're all feeling that wrath tonight. Um, uh. So, did we have anything further that we wanted to say on the... Oh, you know, you were talking about the dungeon as travelogue, and I was going to say, it sounds like a mega dungeon, what you're describing. Yeah. Uh, and there's a couple good ones out there, right, of course. Right. Uh, the uh, 13th Age, uh, Eyes of the Stone Thief, um, Gareth right, Ryder Hanrahan. Got it right back there. <laughs> yeah, you, you could totally do it with that. And then there's, of course, you know, it's like there's just a lot of mega dungeons out there. I'm sure fucking Monty Cook's Patolus could be used in (laughs) that way. Yes, you could. Thanks, thanks, Monty. Um, Thanks, Monty. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thanks, bro. Uh, And then there's the Underdark campaign. Like, it sounded, uh, there was a moment when I felt like what you were describing sounded a lot like um, Out of the Abyss. the D and D, the D and D campaign, which has a very kind of caverny travel log feel to it that I don't think I captured very well when I was running it fucking five years ago. Now, yeah, that's how long it's been since I've done D and D. Because we have Tasha's Cauldron of Everything coming up here, don't we? As a yes. deep dive, yes, soon. we do. We should so think about that. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it's gonna be back into D and D for the first time in a long time. And then with this new fucking uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft coming out, I don't really see how I can not buy that. So uh, it'll be like returning to D and D for like the first time in a fucking hot minute, dude. Um, stoked on that. Did anybody have any other things they want to cover tonight? Um, one thing I did want to say also with. Uh travel sequences if you have the if you have like a big bad that's going to be coming up and you want to be nice to your players and maybe give them an idea of what it's going to be if they have to roll like a knowledge check or something like that if you want to give a miniature version of that or like a book about it or something that they have to find on the side of the road somewhere that could be a way that you do that too is you find a stash that someone had dropped and it's got a book about it. And so if they decide to read that book, that will help them with identifying and defeating the big, bad evil guy. So uh, that's another thing that you can like a little Easter egg for them or whatever. If you I, I always love it, like, when game masters give characters books and then they don't read them. Yeah. Cause that, ha- <laughs> that happened, that happened oh. in eternal lies that happened in eternal lies. And we were do, like, do they ever read them? No. <laughs> yeah. Just a random uh, book. I couldn't tell you how many times as a fucking vampire GM I was like, and then you find a leather-bound grimoire, and it's super enrapturing, and the player goes, okay, cool, I put it in my bag. And you're like, all right. (laughs) How much gold is it worth? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like, fuck you guys. You fucking... I don't know why I do this game. It's funny because... (laughs) Like, we're talking about this, and you're kind of, like, guys are reminding me, like, some of my big pet peeves with the kind of games you put a lot of work into. Um, Ever since we started Full Metal RPG, like, the... There's just been, like, kind of, like, the this this graph of, like, the amount of effort that I put into an individual session that has just been trending downwards (laughs) at this very steady pace for years, because... With Full Metal RPG it has come like all sorts of other responsibilities, and there's just all sorts of other just just constantly they just sort of sprout like mushrooms in the night. And um, I haven't really had a campaign that I've just felt like very like dedicated and invested in like writing it and writing the background and writing the fucking descriptions of the buildings and all this shit and immersing myself in. I haven't done that in fucking years. And I really want to. I've been like. Uh, working on this mage campaign that I want to run and uh did someone say I'm mage all like yeah yeah mage <laughs> mage the ascension yeah uh and uh and I'm like oh man why did I ever give this up this is so cool this is so fun and it's like that's why that's why I gave it up because you say you find the leather bound grimoire and they go yeah okay whatever I don't give a fuck about that don't you know that my character doesn't give a fuck about grimoires and you're like anyway <sighs> I think I think that that that's a uh, uh, you know I think everybody has people that are in that phase of life that you're like I'm I'm just here for the trench coats and katanas motherfucker like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like not this uh, books like I have to read books at school man like fuck yeah. you like <laughs> my character doesn't read books dude my character Again, wears sunglasses at night. <laughs> I play Blade. I basically play Blade. So yes. <laughs> uh well, what, what do you think, ladies and gentlemen? Do we want to make some closing comments? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, Mr. Buzzkill, why don't you take us out? Um, of the travel sequences. Well, let's let's clo- let's get to our destination here on travel sequences. <laughs> uh, I, I I really I think they're they're fun. 
that can be fun, but you have to read the table like most things. You have to read the table. And I think it's a good opportunity for world building. Like, you spend all this time as a game master, like, thinking about this world. Even even when you, you only use minimal effort, like, it, just to set up a session, you're still thinking about the world. Like, I still spent a lot of time thinking about the world, even though I didn't really spend a lot of time prepping for my session. So, like... That's the time to bring some of that and put it on the table, and it maybe the, it'll inspire some role playing by the characters, <laughs> as with all things. No doubt, no doubt. And with that, I guess we'll call it another episode of Full Metal RPG. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, you can find us uh, fullmetalrpg.com. Will lead you to our link tree, and you can get into all the stuff that we're into. We got all kinds of stuff on there. We got t-shirts we got uh discords if uh we got this patreon shit so uh if you want to play if you're if you've listened to our stories of the rot marches and you're thinking to yourself you know what i'd love to fucking uh play the rot marches uh for as little as one dollar a month you could join us in this uh sandbox campaign uh style of 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 uh adventure exploration that we've never done before and we're kind of we're kind of learning it as we're doing it, and we're kind of making it up as we go along. And i got to say, we're at the spot where we're actually starting to get into returns on some of that, and it's really fun. It's, oh, it's, yeah. really, it's, it's really awesome. It's, it's, it's easy to get jacked up about, about rot marches. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I had some other thought, but my synapses are just, like, really, <laughs> really ceasing to fire uh, here at this point. Um, uh, th- thanks for joining us. <laughs> Am I missing something? No, I think you're good. I think you're good. <laughs> I just have this feeling like I had some like oh yeah it, it it's back. This is where I'm at. All right. So I downloaded a new fucking uh, uh, OS or whatever for my phone for like the first time in like three years. My phone's always popping this thing up. It's like download the new OS. I'm like shut up phone. I don't care about you. So I finally got around to doing it. It was plugged in at night or something. And guess what, kids? Uncle Brendan didn't know this, but iTunes changed how the podcast app works, and it's very different now, at least for me. It's probably the same as it's been for you for like a year or something, but for me, it's very, very brand new. And it turns out that uh, the way that it displays podcasts is a little bit more important than it was uh, five years ago. So what we really need for you to do is go on and uh, like and subscribe and all that shit, but please leave us a five-star review. Please write a little bit of something in there. Uh, let people know how to find the podcast, because right now, the way that iTunes works is it's really pushing podcasts into your face when you boot up the app, rather than, than, than just being in the background like they were for years and years and years. So... That is a level of exposure that we still really need, um, and that helps uh, more people get in touch with the show. Go ahead, Richard. And if you're not an Apple fanboy, you there are many other apps that also take reviews, like Stitcher and and uh, Pod, Pod Addict and a bunch of other ones. So probably Podbean. Podbean. Yeah, Podbean. Uh, yeah, review our stuff for us, please. It helps us a lot. If you can't support us and be one of our our bosses, our patrons, our mighty, mighty patrons, help us out and give us a review. That's all. That, that, yeah. Please. <laughs> That'd be pretty please. fucking sick. No lie. No lie. And then I'll uh, sing your praises on the show. Like yeah, we'll read them. Like, point, yeah, you know, so, tell, and if so, we don't read them, like, get at us and tell us we yeah. should read them. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We will definitely get around to reading them because we've read them all. Yes. All of them. 
Good, yep. bad, right. meh. You read them all. <laughs> yep, <exactly>. Any of them. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for spending another evening with Full Metal RPG. Have a good night. Bye. Bruh.